Cricket Love Stories with me, Neil Cagram. Today we're joined by Jim Troughton. Jim, how's things going? Good, thanks, Neil. How are you? Yeah, not bad. We're doing these crazy times. Yeah, crazy times. We were just chatting, weren't we, about the weather at the moment. It's been a bit of a bit of a wet couple of weeks that's been stopped starting the, the season that looked like it got off and running and good to good to see the cricket back on on uh, social media feeds and people being able to keep up and in touch with their with their counties and then obviously with crowds coming in last week it was you know it seemed like things are hopefully getting back to normal but then the weather sort of played its part hasn't it the last sort of 10 to 14 days yeah british weather can't rely on it so let's take it all the way back with yourself what are your earliest memories of the sport how you got into it uh, earliest memories probably uh, my dad used to play for um, uh, sort of group of cricketer actors that used to used to sort of get together. They were called the Weekenders. Um, they used to play various sort of theatres, and um, I remember me and my brothers sort of milling around in the nets and mucking around, you know, and uh, sort of being on the periphery of cricket um, in those early days. That were probably my early memories of watching my dad play. Um, but really, I was probably more into my football when I was younger. It wasn't really until sort of the age of eleven or twelve that I got into really got into cricket seriously. But that would probably be my earliest memories of watching my dad running in with his uh, nice sort of right arm medium paces or medium fast, as he probably liked to have known. Never went down the acting route. Do you want to talk about your acting family for those that may not know? No, I mean, no, I never, never thought of going down that route with you know. My dad and my granddad being, you know, famous actors and uh, granddad being the second Doctor Who, Patrick. Uh, and then both my brothers going into the trade. Um, no, it's not been something that ever really uh, was something that I thought was an option for me. I much preferred running out outdoors and, you know, sport was far more interesting to me than, than acting. But, you know, it's enjoyable to watch their careers uh, evolving, you know, but they've been just as equally frustrated the last sort of year and a half now with, with COVID and not being able to do their job. So we're sort of similar similar in that in that trait how did you what was your path into the warwickshire system did you come through the youth youth system who spotted your talents was there one particular coach talk us through your early early times for warwickshire um yeah i think my, yeah, my early cricket was played at my local cricket club stratford upon avon um so me and my brothers would go down on a tuesday night to the nets there and we had a couple of volunteer coaches there um, Alan Webb and Brian Webb um, and Colin Davis would have been the, the three guys that sort of ran the youth cricket at Stratford um, and they had a fantastic overseas player from South Africa called, called Paul Matthews who, who and I'm not sure if he played many first class games for Bolland but in terms of a um, a role model for a, a young 10, 11 year old you know there's this guy who's come over from South Africa and he plays for the first team and he comes and coaches the kid he was a fantastic role model for all of us at the club but I think it was Brian Webb would have put me forward to winter trials I think that's how it happened really if you had kids at your your club who you thought um could go and trial at Warwickshire so a trip up to Edgebaston with my dad for um, some trials in the indoor school and um I think Neil Abberley would have been the coach at the time spotted something in my left arm Chinaman's that was uh, that showed a bit of promise and managed to get onto the, the winter nets there. Then you have trials after the, the winter for the summer, and I think it was under 12s uh, onwards, really, for me at Warwickshire. So that's, sort of, that's how I started getting it, would have been through through club cricket, having not played at all at the, the school that I was at. 
any tips and advice for youngsters wanting to get into these academy systems? Even if they do drop out, is there still a path for them back in? Any tips you can give? I think the tips, you've got to enjoy the game. You've got to enjoy playing this. You know, it's a fantastic game. Um, All the forms that you can play nowadays as well. Um, As long as you're enjoying it and you're looking to improve um, and you don't fear making mistakes, I think that's going to be the important part of it. I felt, you know, if, if you're a parent, you've got kids who want to play cricket. It's just the enjoyment of hitting the ball, bowling as quick as you can, turning the ball as much as you can, running and throwing yourself around in the field or behind the stumps. Um, being recognised for doing that and getting into academies, I think, will will happen. You know, you put in performances, um, coaches, hopefully, like those volunteer coaches at Stratford are so important uh, at club level uh, to be able to spot someone who's got that passion and maybe a little bit of talent. Um, but yeah, if it doesn't happen straight away, I don't think you should also be um, downhearted or anything. You know, no, a couple of friends of my daughters are in football academies. It does seem rather cutthroat that at the age of nine, you could be sacked from an academy. And it's a very different way of doing things in cricket. Um, but I think the pathways you've got in cricket, it might not happen straight away at under 11s or, or 12s. But people um, grow at different times and their skills develop at different times. Um, I don't think that you should ever think that it's not going to be something that you could do. But also, I, I think it's really important to play other sports as well, not to not to put you know focus completely on one sport, especially at that young age. And was it always an ambition of yours to become a professional cricketer? As you're going through the ranks, GCSEs, A levels, etc., was the ambition always that, or did you have a was your were you broad minded and? the path just led to cricket in the end? Um, well, I think once I knew I wasn't good enough at football at about 13 and I got released, I got released, I was playing, I was playing youth football for Stoke City and I, you know, that was my passion. I was thought I'm going to be a professional footballer one day and realising that I wasn't good enough for that. At that time, my cricket was developing and I was quite small as a youngster. You know, I didn't really develop. I wasn't very tall. You know, I wasn't very strong. Um, cricket, was more skill based so you could compete with someone who was six foot two uh, at 16 years of age as a batter because you could show your skill against them it wasn't so much about strength and and power Um, but I think around about the age of 14 to 15 Neil Abberley used to do these Sunday morning sessions which were basically academies before academies were developed you know properly and that would be selecting players from you know 12s 13s 14s 15s up to 19s the best players of those age group would come together on a Sunday morning and focus on some specific skills and obviously then you'll be facing kids older than you and 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 seeing the best players from each age group I think from that age there there'd be a couple of Warwickshire players would come in and coach as well a couple of pro players you'd started seeing the link between where you were and where you maybe could could end up and this could be um it could be a reality. So I said around about sort of 15, 16, I thought, you know, uh, this could be something that I could really pursue and, and see how far I could go with it. So list day debut, 1999, first class debut, 2001 against was it Worcester. What are your memories of that day? Um, well, I remember I was playing a second team game at Studley Cricket Club and I got a phone call that came through to Neil Abbey, who was the second team coach, because... Uh, I think Nick Knight had been hit on the head by Andrew Caddick down at Taunton the week before and was still suffering a bit of um, concussion. 
So he was going to miss the game. So I got called up. I put in some performances for the second team. And Bob Warmer was the coach at the time. And, you know, basically got the call to make my way 45 minutes from Studley to the ground that morning. And then I was playing. So I literally had no real time to to think about it or sleep on it or, or anything. It was literally drive to the ground, um, get into those the dressing rooms at Warwickshire and we were in the field straight away. So it was it happened pretty quickly. And um, in terms of a game, you know, it was uneventful in terms of personally, you know, I scored a few runs in the first innings, you know, 20-odd, and then I'm not out second innings. I think the first thing I did in the game was bowl at Graham Hick on 180. Um, so that was my first impact on, on first-class cricket was being whacked for 20 runs off three overs or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, just being out at Edgebaston and, and playing and making your debut was a really special moment. How did you find the environment of second eleven cricket? Did you find it a bit dog-eat-dog? And obviously, as a, uh, having been a head coach uh, now uh, previously as well, do you think the environment perhaps is one where, you know, it's a bit too competitive in the, in the sense that a youth player is striving to get the contract, a senior pro almost fighting for his place to remain with the club. Did you find that at all? Any insight you can give us? Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting environment, second team cricket, because like you said, there are so many different levels of players, ages of players, experiences of players. You've got guys who are coming back from injury who are probably, you know, working their way back into the first team guys have been dropped guys at the end of their careers young guys academy players you know I've, my debut I've you know, debuted at 16 um so as young players who are just trying to see if they're good enough at that level so there's a real mixture um but I mean back in those days I thought a lot of the second teams that I would have played seemed to be the average age seemed to be a little bit older and it was quite a tough school um because you did have a lot of senior pros who, you know, maybe weren't featuring that much in first team, but they were quite strong second team. So, um, but, you know, those early days were, it was, it was tough. Um, and it was, it was about performance and being able to adapt really quickly to, to who you were coming up against. You know, you might've been quite good at age group cricket and club cricket had been doing well. And this was your opportunity to come up against the best of other counties at the sort of similar level. So, you know, very enjoyable. You had a group of mates who, who were coming through at the same time. So there was that mix. You always had maybe a senior captain, a couple of senior players you were a bit of in awe of. Um, but then you were in the same boat as quite a lot of other other lads as well who were trying to you know, secure contracts um, and try and make their way in the game. So um, it never felt to me, which I think is quite important, that was it was all about the winning part. It was actually trying to present you with opportunities to experience what first-class cricket is all about. I think that's the key thing to second team cricket. You know, having been involved with it now um, at the start of my coaching with Warwickshire and then obviously now with Somerset is you've got to keep creating opportunities for them to experience what first team cricket will be like because I think sometimes three-day cricket doesn't really offer you the opportunity to do that. So it's good that it's four-day cricket um, now for this year. Um, it makes, makes some more opportunities for you to force home advantages or have to really fight against um, periods of pressure so there's goods and bads and sometimes you play in a game where it felt like it wasn't great standard other days it would be full of big names and it would be a real a real uh, competitive game and then 2002 Benson and Hedges final at Lords struck a great partnership with Ian Bell I think you got 30 or 37 Ian Bell 60 odd winning the game talk us through that day early in your career 
Yeah, pretty early because made debut in, in 2001 and then played, you know, a handful of games in 2002. Um, and that was my first time playing at Lords. So to play at Lords was one thing. To play in a final on telly was just bonkers. Um, it was the final Benson Hedges Cup. You know, they were disbanding the competition. So it was sort of the final opportunity to have gold award players that they'd always uh, award man of the matches to, which Belly got the gold award that game for his 60-odd not out. And the game was a pretty much, and again, at that age, everything sort of comes very quickly and you're just soaking it up and enjoying the moment. And yeah, it was nice to hit a few and, you know, put us in a position to win the game. And um, it was a really enjoyable day, you know, with your family in the crowd. You just suddenly felt like, wow, this is the biggest crowd you've played in front of, let alone it being on TV and stuff. So it kind of, I think in terms of realisation of, A, getting a contract, B, playing your debut and then and then this opportunity to perform in a final. It was a, it was a really you know important moment for me and really enjoyable and one of those moments you'll always remember. In your opinion, how important is uh, the overseas pro? Obviously, in that side, that winning side, you had Sean Pollock. How much of an influence was he on that side? And then in general, what are, you, what are your views on overseas players? How, how beneficial are they for the group? Well, I think they they are they're vital. You know, being a coach now, there's you have the ability to influence players in terms of how you prepare them, how you talk to them before and after games of cricket, how you set up plans of how you're gonna you know attack different competitions and the tactics and everything that goes with it. But I don't think you can underestimate the value of learning from the players on the pitch, senior players, leaders, and then particularly overseas players who are obviously going to be experienced players that's why they're that's why they're there in the first place so players like Sean Pollock as a young guy I think when I made my my maiden century uh, at Hampshire at the the Rose Bowl it was then he was at the other end so you know talking me through the sort of final 20 runs and just settling me down and you know having players like him involved at the club would just yeah the amount you could learn off them and other players as well so it was 22 yards away just seeing them bat against some good bowling or as a bowler, not so much for me as a bowler, but I can imagine having a senior overseas player at mid-on when you're bowling as a youngster is, you know, you're going to be learning from them um, and not just so much the technical stuff, but really the mental stuff about the game of, of achieving it at first-class level. So, yeah, Sean Pollock, very lucky with the overseas players, really, that uh, we got to play with at Warwickshire. But, yeah, him as a youngster was fantastic. And then 2003... Got your one-day call-up for England. So two years since your first-class debut, and also reading back some stats, the majority of your runs at that stage came in the longer-form four-day game. So, from that aspect, was it a little surprising? Did you expect the call? And what were you feeling when you when the phone rang and you asked were you called up to the side? Yeah, I mean, like you said, all my runs have been in, in four-day cricket. I think maybe there was a little bit of a habit there with with selections in England where it was, if you're going to bleed youngsters, it was usually a bit of white ball cricket, you know, get a new fresh team. It was post-2003 World Cup, and there'd been a couple of retirements from the England side. And I think I was probably, if you said which young players are playing well at the moment, I was in that group of players, regardless of whether those runs have been in, in red or, or white ball. Because, um, you know, scoring runs in white ball cricket, you know, because it's, you're talking about strike rates and having to score quickly at the best of the best in the world. I was definitely undercooked in terms of experience and ability in that 
you know, it was I think it was Michael Vaughan's first series as captain, Jimmy Anderson but bursting onto the scene, um, but playing alongside likes of Ricky Clark, Chris Reed, Kabir Ali, um, guys who I'd grown up playing with as well. It was it was really it was so fun. Personally, not great, but being part of you know the couple of series that I work that I was 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 fantastic, and it'd be something I always cherish. But probably all a little bit too soon for me. Um, in terms of the amount of cricket I'd played and how successful I'd been in that form. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, uh, it was a fantastic opportunity. I, th- I fielded quite well. That'd probably be my only claim to fame in, the, in, in my six ODIs that I played. Apart from the obvious, i.e. the crowd, the television, take us into it. What are, what are the differences? The pace of the game, hostility, talk us through it. No, I didn't really, you know, hostility-wise, it wasn't really, it didn't feel any different than that. But what it was, was everything else that goes with being part of that kind of, I mean, the word bubble now is different now. You use the word bubble, it, it has a different connotation. But being part of, it was two home, it was two home series, so it wasn't, I wasn't abroad. It, it was, you know, hotel to hotel and buses and training and being part of that whole setup um, was a completely different experience. Um, and then, Sort the press before and after. Um, if you had to do appearances, um, it was all great fun. But it's literally a hundred mile an hour stuff for someone who you know been in the game for a couple of years. Uh, and then the games itself were you know full crowds with with everything that TV and and stuff like that was just you know I just enjoyed it so much. Um, I, I remember my debut at Old Trafford was against Pakistan, and I couldn't really hear myself think because of the, the the horns that they were using. I think it was, was pre Vivazellas that they had in the World Cup, but it was pretty loud. I nearly got run out for naught because I didn't hear Michael Vaughan call me through because it was that loud. Um, but in terms of that experience, when you're, I mean, I suppose when you're experiencing something different in any sport, it, it feels like it's 100 mile an hour because, because of the atmosphere and the pressure. Uh, and that's what it felt like to me. The whole thing went so quickly. I wish I'd been able to maybe take breath and do it again and know what to expect a little bit. You also have the era where domestic T20 burst on the scene when the tournament came around what were your initial thoughts did you think of it as a bit of a hit and giggle or was it serious from straight away what were you and the players thinking um 100 hit and giggle like i remember we were at edgebaston there was a big meeting with all the players you know the pca got everyone into the exhibition hall at edgebaston to reveal this thought of a new competition and i remember being in that grit and all of us were like you know, we remember playing this when we were kids, you know, on a Friday night. This is, it wasn't like, it wasn't anti, it was just like, this is going to be fun. But I think, I think Mark Butcher even said himself, when Surrey won it that first year, he wasn't, I don't think he was playing, in, if he wasn't playing in the game, he got interviewed after the game. And he said, well, we've just treated it like what it is, which is hit and giggle. You know, it wasn't until, you know, you go three or four generations of competition down the line and, when India won the World Cup in 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 South Africa, and then the IP, and then then you know what it is now, what it is this giant um, beast of a competition now um, that has so many people involved with and planning. And back then it was very much, are we going to be able to get twenty overs in in time? You know, you had you had people running to the middle of the wicket in case they ran out of time, or bowlers were bowling wide and run back to the start of their run-ups in case they can't get the twenty overs done in an hour and a half. Um, but that first year, it was interesting. I wasn't actually involved that much first year because I was with England. I only really, I only played the, the, 
on finals day when we got to finals day. So it was just um, down the line to think that it's become what it has. I don't think ev- not everyone would have thought that was going to be the case, but definitely, like you said, the, the initial view was this is going to be a bit of, not a joke, but just a bit of hit and giggle and a bit of fun. So where did you, see, when you reflect back, how did you see your personal game develop over the over that period, the next five, six years? See, the club itself, you won the, what's it, you won the championship in 2004, a few years later, CB 14, 2010. But that period, how do you reflect back on your game? Did it disappoint you that you didn't kick on and then get another opportunity with the national side? How do you look back? Yeah, I think if I had a chance, you know, after that 03 series where it didn't go well personally for me, and I was thinking, I hope I've done enough for them to think, well, you know what, we've got a winter tour to Bangladesh or wherever they were going that winter. Let's have a look at him on a tour, see what we can work with. But I don't think I'd made a big enough impression. And then I definitely struggled that first, the sort of three months left in the season after. I was absolutely knackered. You know, mentally, I was just spent. And then you put pressure on yourself because you played for England. So then every time you go out to bat, you're thinking, right, I've already, you know, I've got to score 100 here. I've got, and you're trying to score 100 before you even got past one, two. Um, and then really it's about, you know, if I speak to anyone who's maybe had those experiences come back out, you've got to then be very consistent. You've just got to bang the door down. I was never consistent enough um, to get that second opportunity. Um, but then my... That's when you kind of look at what your goals are as a as a player. If if you're not going to reach internationally, what what domestically can you achieve um, that you'll be able to look back on a career and, and be able to captain and be able to win trophies uh, and be able to hopefully leave the club in a, in a good place as a player? Um, they became your goals. Um, but I think you think talking a little bit about how T20 might have developed my personal game. Definitely, new shots came into my game on a new way of playing. Um, that maybe back when I was 13, 14, I'd have been chucked out of the nets for doing certain shots, you know, not keeping the ball on the floor and the way we looked to home technique as in that era, as opposed to the kids I coach now or the kids I've coached in previous sort of five, 10 years of being a coach. Um, it's about expansive play. And then you find a way to hone your technique to, to suit maybe the longer form. It's kind of changed, I think, over the years. Can you expand on that? When you mean you want to hone your technique, say for well, you, think- so watching this, going into the nets, would you uh, would you advise them to almost try different things or treat everything as a match situation? I think you can so deal with it. Can- you can deal with it by case by case, but I definitely know that growing up, it would have been technique for defence, keep the ball on the floor, know your off stump, and then white ball would be, right now, can you expand your game? You know, can you go 360? Can you develop a, a, a reverse sweep or a paddle? Or, you know, can you hit over the top? But really, it was more focused on technique and being able to play in a correct way and be able to bat long period of time. You see over the generations now from the development of T20 cricket that it's maybe changed slightly where power, expansive shots, being 360, and then you're looking at players, well, can we hone this to be able to bat for long periods of time? Getting the right mix... Is, is always going to be the challenge because some players will naturally look good strikers of the ball but might need to work a bit more on their, their longer form or their technique to be able to deal with the moving ball. Or you might have guys who naturally have a real sound technique for the longer form of the game but then need to build some power and to build some expansiveness into, into their game. Um, 
I don't think it's one or the other, personally. I don't think you've got to go, right, we've got to start by just whacking the ball. But I would say to young kids, enjoy hitting the ball. You've got to enjoy hitting the ball. That's what the game's about, scoring runs, putting pressure on the opposition. Um, and then you develop areas where your super strengths get even stronger. And then areas we need to improve, uh, you need to work on as well. What I don't want, I'm speaking to a lot of younger batters, is I don't want them to pigeonhole themselves, say, well, oh, maybe I'm just a white ball player or maybe I'm just a red ball player. Everyone should want to try and be Coley and, you know, be dominate in all three forms. Why can't they? You know, that should be, you know, to be able to play all three forms would be, you know, the, the benchmark that you want to set yourself. And then 2011, you became the skipper of the club. One of the proudest moments of your career? Yeah, I think um, you look back over a career, playing, playing for your country is obviously a real proud moment, but I didn't achieve what I wanted to achieve. I'd say domestically, captaining Warwickshire and, and leading a fantastic squad of players was you know, something you'd be able to look back as a legacy of, especially a period of time from 210 to 220, where uh, Warwickshire are a pretty, pretty strong team. Um, as a club, it's always been in the shadow of the, the team of the 90s, of what they achieved, the fantastic squad that that was, that's, that won so many trophies. And I think for that period there, being part of that generation that, you know, got to Lord's finals, you know, four or five times that won um, T20 uh, championship and, and uh, a 50 over and 40 over comps. I think, you know, there's something that they can be real proud of. Did you see yourself as a natural leader? Did you captain youth teams? And did you find then given the opportunity a bit more natural? Because some say that, you know, captains learn on the job. Was that still a case for you? Or did it just come quite naturally to you? Um <clears throat> I think the captains that learn on the job, usually the uh, <clears throat> the really talented players who are constantly playing above age groups, so they don't really tend to be the captains. And then maybe they get to the international level or the domestic level and they, they captain in and they haven't actually captained at age group level because they've always been playing four or five years younger. Um, so th- I, I feel that those guys will learn on the job a little bit more than maybe guys who've grown up doing captaincy. Um, doesn't say that I wasn't learning every day when I took the captaincy, but Taking it on at what age was I? Oh, geez, 2011. So I was 30, 31, 32. I, my career was at that point where I felt very comfortable in, my, in myself. Um, I've been part of that Warwickshire team for 10 years. Uh, I was a senior player. I captained, you know, through my early career, but never really been interested in doing it until that time because it just felt right in terms of my experience level and how comfortable I felt with my own game. It wasn't going to take away from you know, my, my job, my skill set of batting. Um, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it, you know, working with Ashley Giles um, and Graham Welsh, who's a bowling coach then. And the group of players I had, I was very lucky with the squad of bowlers I had as well. It was a real, it was a really um, enjoyable time um, and a successful time, which always makes it a little bit better. What is the toughest part of, of captaincy, in your opinion? Uh, I'd say personal failure, which is also leading to the team failure. That's a bad combination to have because you can almost accept if you're not scoring runs, but the team are performing really well and you're winning games of cricket, all you're working on then is, right, I need to make sure that I come good here. You know, I need to keep working on my own game and dovetail at the right time. Um, But if you're not, you know, you're not scoring runs and the team's struggling as well, that's a double whammy. I was lucky that when I didn't score runs sort of early part of, say, 2012, um, 
I think I averaged 15 after the first sort of round of, of championship games. We were top of the table and the guys were playing brilliantly. So it kind of, you know, I just needed to find my way in the back end of the season to finish strongly. But I can imagine when you're personally struggling and the team's struggling, it's a double, it's a double effect there because you know you're not doing your job. And also, as the captain, you know, you take responsibility for the on-field performances, whether you win or lose as well. And you talk about on-field performances. Does the remit then also extend to stuff off the field? Do you get were you getting involved in director level discussion? Anything like that? I'd say early few seasons, you know, me, me and Ash, me and Ashley Giles had a good relationship, or you know, set out the sort of responsibilities quite early. Um, I'd say during my time with, with Ash that though that maybe I was I was given a little bit more, but you know, I was very trusting in what Ash could do. You know, we're just talking contracts and you know, how the club and finances and all that stuff, you know, he kept all of that off my plate, you know, and in terms of him setting the, the, the program and the training, we'd have a chat, but you know, I'd be, I'd be about managing my players on the field. You know, I'd, I'd want to be the guy who tells them if they're not playing, you know, I wanted that responsibility because I felt that the trust was needed for me to look them in the eye to say, look, you're going to miss out. And then on the field, I'd manage the guys on, on the field and together we'd dovetail, necessary for, for stuff that needed to be dealt with and I kind of took some of that to when I became a coach knowing what captains need is, is quite important but ultimately he didn't put anything on my plate that I didn't need or put any extra pressure on me that I didn't need uh, which just allowed me to do my job which was score runs and, and captain the team on the, on the field. Yeah 2011 you just fell short to Lanks 2012 you win the title what qualities did that side possess and in general, do you think it's people say it's a batsman's game, but twenty wickets you need as well? What, was it a good mix that that side had? Yeah, uh, I'll I'll always say as a captain and as a coach, bowlers win your championships. So bowlers win you all comps. Twenty wickets or ten wickets in, in in one day cricket, you need to be taking twenty wickets in four day cricket. And I had a a really well balanced attack. You know, obviously having a fantastic overseas player in Jeets. Um, who'd be picking up 50 wickets a year and then the likes of Wokes, Barker, Wright, Clark, Rankin, Maddie, Neil Carter as well. I mean, we were really lucky. I was really lucky as a captain to have, you know, an attack like that, which could probably, which, which could take wickets in all conditions. You know, if you want to pr- produce a wicket as an, you know, a home team against the Warwickshire side that does a bit, we've got the bowlers to extract that. But if you want to then, a flat one, we've got the pace. And we've also got someone who can spin spin teams out. So we were, we were just so well prepared in that in that department. Plus three of those bowlers, including Cheats, who scored hundreds. Um, three of those were Clark, Barker and, and Wokes. Were, were, could be batters in their own right as well on, on their day. So, you know, you could get you could get us four or five down. And Keith Barker could be batting at 10. Um, so that you just made it just, you know, we, we batted deep. And we had a, a fantastic uh, bowling lineup. And then when retirement came, were you ready for it from a mental perspective? I know you had injuries. Was that the main cause of it, or mentally were you ready to to hang it up? And was the path always coaching in your in your mind? Um, I, I, I came, it came to the point where it was it was obvious that I had to. Mentally, I was nowhere near wanting to, but physically, it was affecting my my game and my ability to do my job. So um, having had an operation on the back 
at the sort of start of 2014 after missing half of 2013 with issues. We knew that was probably last chance for it to work and I managed to get a couple of games out, but then it, it still wasn't doing the trick. And you're then weighing up, you know, doing your job and having a quality of life after cricket, you know, the cost of maybe trying to push through that. Um, Timing-wise as well, you know, Sam Hain was just come on the scene as well. So you, you're thinking not only for yourself, but like, actually, there's a position there that if if I have to step aside here because, you know, I'm not doing my job well enough, at least we've got a young player who can come into this really experienced batting unit and, and transition might be smooth. But yeah, it, I don't think you truly know what, what it's going to feel like when you do stop after doing it. You know, it's all you've done since you were 11 years of age. Um, and yeah, but coaching had always been from taking the captaincy. That's what got my head around. Actually, I really would enjoy coaching because the whole, the whole man management side of it, um, I found really exciting as a captain. And I think that's a, that's a huge part of being a coach is you, you know, you've got your knowledge base, uh, whether that be tactical or technical, but how you create connections and relationships and manage players senior guys who've played for England, junior guys who are making their way. That stuff fascinates me. And, and that's why I thought coaching would be something I could really build on. What discussions were you having with Warwickshire? Was, did, were they very welcoming the fact that they told you that once you give up the game, that you move into a coaching position initially? How, what were the conversations that you had with the club? Um, well, there'd been, there'd been a few conversations, nothing official, you know, nothing sit down going, this is what the plan is, you know, you, I announced my retirement in the August of, of 2014. Um, I didn't actually get the role until March the, the, the following year. So once the season finished, there was a period there where you know, effectively that was it. I wasn't training anymore. I wasn't at the ground and I was coaching at a local company, coaching, you know, 11 year old girls and then 50 year old businessmen. sort of cutting my teeth and coaching all different levels. Uh, Andy Hurry, uh, who was the under 19 coach then, uh, with uh, Mo Bobat, who was um, uh, the sort of manager of the under-19s there. They I got me out to Dubai to work with the 19s in a, on a spin camp. So I was getting involved with that, which was really exciting. And then come the March, I was back in, you know, in, in sort of assistant coach capacity and uh, working on batting and fielding and doing a bit of leadership stuff with age groups. So it did happen quickly, but um, in terms of... I suppose a job interview for becoming a coach of Warwickshire. I'd had a 20 year career of building up to that point of being captain of showing I had the credentials, doing my level four and getting myself up to speed. It's probably the, the payoff of finishing early allowed me to get onto that ladder a lot quicker uh, and get, get onto level four earlier to therefore then have more experience at a younger age. In 2016, you were on the coaching staff for that won the CB 40 2017 you got made the head coach again were you ready for that step up to take to, to take it on yeah I mean it being it being so like I've been what coach for three years before that um and I was under no illusions of where we were as a squad Ashley Giles come back from from Lanks and we understood there that this season or the next few seasons was going to be looking at a squad that had come into the end of its dominance really you know in terms of age and experience all of them aging at the same time the transition was going to have to happen so 
it was one of those you take the role because you absolutely want it and you're ready but you you completely understand eyes wide open that this is going to be a period now and you've seen it as a player through the different sort of post Bob Warmer, John Inverity, Mark Greatbatch, Ashley Giles, Dougie Brown to me always that period of transition where players are going to be moving on um so I think four-day cricket was the, the wake-up call that we'd just been probably on the downward slide in 16 and 15 and survived getting drawn into relegation battles uh, by the season coming just, just at the right time, the end of the season. Um, but white ball-wise, we were still quite an experienced team, really. Um, so I'd say, yeah, it was 17, we got relegated. So that was the kind of wake-up call of our four-day cricket. We'd need to maybe... Um, see where we're going to go with that. Um, but got to finals day of uh, the T20s and missed out to knots in the final um, with a lot of exciting young batters coming through. Dom Sibley joining and, and Adam Hose and, and in that winter, Will Rhodes as well. Um, so then over the last sort of four years, it's been the case of, right, how we're going to transition an entire squad, really, whilst still trying to be competitive, whilst still bringing through the youth and also trying to create some England players. So it's kind of like different roles as a head coach that you want to try and achieve. And we've done some of those well. Um, but ultimately, you know, performances, inconsistency and performances over the, the those four years, particularly the last two years, um, you know, cost me my, my role at the club. Um, but hopefully you'll see over the next few years that sometimes you have to go through those difficult times to then, create a next group of experienced players who can hopefully take the club on further. You just made one point there about um, developing England players. Is that a remit given by the ECB or is that just something that a culture that is amongst the counties that that's what you want to do? Uh, I don't, it's not a remit handed down, but me as a coach, as a, as a domestic head coach in discussions and when we talk about what our vision is as a club, I think it's absolutely imperative that you're creating players for the next level. Um, I think there can be a short-sightedness to your cricket if it isn't about doing that. Because there is a trade-off. The better the players you create, the less you'll see them. Um, so you have to accept that, that bringing Dom Sibley to the club, real ambition to improve, to play consistently in first-class cricket, ambitions to play for England. Within two years, he's now off and you don't see him anymore. But you've got to, as a coaching unit, as a think, well, that's something that we've achieved. You know, bringing through... Rob Yates from Academy is something that you want to do. And that was probably one of the biggest remits of the role was maybe something that had been levelled at Warwickshire for previous seasons was we didn't have enough youth coming through uh, the Academy system. Um, and to do that takes a bit of bravery because it's not going to be an easy ride. You've got guys starting their careers and there's going to be inconsistencies and you know them questioning whether or not they can do it week in, week out. There's going to be challenges of that, but seeing the likes of, of Yates, uh, the Brooks brothers, um, Dan Mosley as well, these guys coming through, uh, Jacob Bethel's obviously one who's keep an eye out for, but there's going to be in the next few years, through those difficult, chaotic times, there'll be a group of players that are Warwickshire homegrown, which I think is a, a really important thing. See these players, when they're coming through, they're exposed to a lot of coaches. Some they might be more favourable, say like a batsman and they've got a batting coach that they trust from a youth. As a head coach, would you be comfortable with them, you know, going away and working with that coach as well as uh, the club's batting coach? What are your views on that? Or was it one where you just wanted them to solely work with that bowling coach, that batting coach with the club? No, I think your role as a coach is that you're there to facilitate that that 
that player's learning and that player's development. And but also there's a lot of responsibility you want to give to your player. It's his journey. And you can't bat for him. You can't bowl for him. You can't manage him totally through those ups and downs that cricket will throw at you. So they need to be given that opportunity. You know, cricket's a very, it's a very different sport to others in terms of team sport, but highly individual. And a lot of the elements of the game are done one-on-one. So I wouldn't have anything against a player who wants to further himself and improve. As long as he, we can have a sit-down discussion about it, about what, why do you think it's going to help, then there's no egos. I think that's a dangerous thing for coaches to have to think, a player is my player and I will take all the credit for that player. As a player, I would definitely recognise coaches that influence me. But when I wasn't going through a bad, when I was going through a bad period, that's on me as a player. All you need your coaches there is to support you through those times, challenge you the right way, and hopefully you get through those difficult periods. Um, but no, I don't, I wouldn't be against players working with whoever they need to work with. It's just, this is lines of communication, but um, I think it's uh, an important tool for a coach to drop the ego um, and think what does the player need and be very player focused um, for their development because ultimately it's their career. And then when the end came with Warwickshire, did it disappoint in the sense that did you feel as if, if given another couple of years, you could have seen the team through and grow and grown it and see the rise again of the Bears? Yeah, it's the ultimate question with what success is, you know, creating players and bringing through the development of youth players. They're big ticks that what we were achieving. However, win-lose column doesn't lie. If you're not winning or competing in trophies at the end of each season, there's a big club like Warwickshire, there's going to be pressure. Um, of course, you think, you know, I would love to have been able to see this difficult transition that you had to oversee. We were just getting out the other end of, right, let's now see where we go because this is we're talking post Gene Patel, Tim Ambrose and Ian Bell this season that's just gone having lost Jonathan Trott, Ricky Clark, Keith Barker, Chris Wright and never seen Wokesley because obviously his development is an England player so there's that real moment where COVID-19, COVID-19 year would have been tough and the year before I think we'd had some seven or eight season-ending injuries with our bowlers. We were struggling to put out a bowling attack in Championship cricket and it was really affecting our, our season. They were two very difficult years that you thought we might just weather the storm but look you have to almost take decisions and uh, try and take those decisions and make a positive out of it learn what you've learned from the role uh, and then get excited about taking taking those experiences into another environment and building up your, your coaching CV and and building yourself back up to where you want to be. Yeah the next challenge now you're involved with Somerset talk us through your exact role there and how how that came about um well it came about with marcus Truscothic got the the ecb batting role um so i was on the phone to andy andy hurry who obviously i knew from my time working with him in the 19s and the role that they had for for trez when covid hit which obviously didn't allow him to do it was to oversee second team cricket academy players coming through young batters to make sure that there's a real pipeline of players ready to step up to first first team cricket so the role really excited me having been a head coach for four years you you do you're not given the same opportunity especially during the season to be able to work one-on-one you do your work in the winter obviously there's no pressure there's no games there's no selection happening there and you're working one-to-one with players but being able to do one-to-one work during season you're limited because you're picking teams you're picking squads um, and you've got batting coaches and bowling coaches that you're empowering to to, to do those roles so 
this role is is exciting that I get to work with those guys at the beginning of their journey. Um, and in second team, yeah, you'll get guys who've maybe fallen out of first team cricket and you've got the experiences of experiencing that yourself and working in second team cricket at Warwickshire before and, and knowing what coaches and players need at that level um, to hopefully improve to become first-class cricketers. So it's a sort of an exciting role in that part. You've also got some coaching coming up with the, with the 100 as well. Talk us through it. Excited? Obviously, in this country, people have got their opinions as a yeah. coach involved. And I'm sure, they're the same, I'm sure they're the same opinions that the public had about T20. I just hope that people see the positives of this competition um, and not a threat to the 18 first-class counties. Um, that If a product can be produced that's going to help try and get get it on terrestrial TV, for instance, have kids sitting, eating breakfast, watching some highlights of a game that they wouldn't see if they can't afford Sky. So, you know, for that reason only, that's an exciting comp for me. Um, but being able to work in women's cricket is really exciting. It's something I haven't done. All I've done some coaching and done some clinics with women's sides um, over the years at Warwickshire, being able to be in an environment that working in the women's game, which is one of the fastest growing games in the world, um, is really exciting. Um, and I'm very open-minded to what it's going to be. And actually, I'm probably more nervous about that than, than when I went down to Taunton to, to, to start this role because it is, it is brand new and you want to be able to make an impact. And uh, there are some unknowns in terms of the women's game for me that I'm really keen to learn. And then just to end on, as a coach, if a youngster came to you for one piece of golden advice, what would you give them? I think the biggest thing that threats to people improving in the game is fear of failure. And it's easy to say, don't fear failure because it's a, it's a, it's a human emotion to, to protect yourself and not want to fail. But if you can just get through that and challenge yourselves and be uncomfortable and actually enjoy that, you'll, you'll, you will improve more than you can possibly imagine that um, the enjoyment of playing the game and understanding you're going to have some ups and downs. If you can, if you can conquer that fear, the, you know, you, you could probably go quite a long way in the game because I think Raul Dravid made a really good point about his career, looking at how many times he passed 50 in his career, in his test career and how many innings he had. He said, I actually failed more than I succeeded. Um, getting your head around that and challenging players and youngsters to not fear getting it wrong, I think it's really important. Jim, perfect. Thank you very much for your time today. Really appreciate it. All the best. With Somerset and the 100 and good luck and for the years ahead. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Take care. So Neil Kagram, Cricket Last Story's Jim Troughton. Thank you.